This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Now on Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. It's Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond. From the courtroom to the boardroom to Talk Radio 1210. Get educated on the law from one of the most powerful attorneys in the country. Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond. Featuring who's who in the Delaware Valley legal community. Welcome to the courtroom. And welcome to Legal Eagles Radio. And your host, Sam Pond. Finally, we can say... Women are believed, and not only on hashtag MeToo, but in a court of law where they were under oath, where they testified truthfully, where they were attacked, where they were smeared, where they were denigrated. Let's talk about the MeToo movement, and let's talk about it in the context of educating you in the law and how this plays out in regard to our Constitution. Good evening, everyone. What's happening right now with the Me Too movement is a game changer in our society, in our country, and in our democracy. It's a game changer, in my opinion, for women. But it's also a game changer for men. How do we balance these two issues in regard to having women that have been victimized, that have been assaulted, that have been attacked, that have been ignored, have that been thrown to the side and not believed in a balance against making sure that accusations against someone are played out in a court of law and that someone gets a fair trial. These are the challenges that we face. Look, we're looking at all the headliners. We've seen Harvey Weinstein, we've seen Senator Frankel, and most recently, Michael Avani. So no matter how powerful, no matter how popular, you're not above the law. Our law, our Constitution says that we have equal protection for everyone. We have equal protection for victims of sexual assault and so long, for so many generations. Back to the beginning of time, women have abused and not been believed. They've not been protected. On the other hand, We can't convict someone without a right to due process. Our Constitution provides that you have a right to trial by jury, and that is you are innocent until proven guilty by a jury of your peers. Lady Justice is always challenged. She's blind, she's impartial, she's fair. Folks, when you look at the image of Lady Justice, It has those scales. They have to be balanced. And that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to balance it so we have a fair and impartial system so that everyone is protected and in the end, justice prevails. We have a great show because one of those popular figures that was accused, that was not above the law, and as you heard in our introductory, was convicted. We have... Today, Joe, we have the prosecutor of that case with us today, 
Let's talk about it. This is Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond in Pittsburgh on the world's first radio station, KDKA. We wake you up on a Saturday morning in Philadelphia on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. We wind you down on the weekend. Back in a moment. If you want to talk with Sam Pond or any one of his legal experts, call 800-568-7500. That's 800-568-7500. Andrea Constant and her family got to be heard. Many women got to be heard. Many women got to give their victim impact statements in a different forum. Um, Justice was definitely served. Audio voice of Kristen Gibbons Fedden, the lawyer who prosecuted Bill Cosby uh, on the Today Show, and now joining us here on Legal Eagles Radio uh, with Sam Pond. We say hello and we welcome Kristen Gibbons Fedden into the broadcast. Thank you so much. Kristen, uh, what an honor to have you on our show. Uh, The honor is mine. You know, I mean, here you're on the Today Show, and now you're on our little Sam Pond legal show. Uh, It's really great to have you, though, and I, I appreciate you making the time to talk to us about the Cosby case and look we're i'd like that this show the purpose of this show which we can never forget about our mission right that's right the 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 purpose of this show is to educate our listeners about the law uh we often say it but we don't say it enough about how important it is to understand your legal rights to understand how the system works to understand the bedrock of our legal system and that's the constitution to understand the rule of law you're such an accomplished lawyer um, and you really know you're a student of the law, and also you're a trial lawyer that's actually going into the courtroom to try a high-powered case. Uh, so it's an honor to have you, and I really want to be able to, to talk about the Cosby case in the context of making sure our folks understand about what it takes to go after and prosecute a high-profile, popular, almost national figure locally. Right. Like almost an iconic hero. Uh, and then just the, the whole how the process works, how's the criminal justice system work, and, and take it from there. Joe Doc, I see you like wanting to jump in right. before we get Christian to sure. say anything. Well, the thing is, is that the responsibility we talked before we came on, the magnitude of this case is so, was so incredible. Um, and obviously justice is so important um, for the victim. But also future victims. The entire country, if not the world, was watching this, watching this trial. Right. And you know, I mean, just to think of that responsibility on on your shoulders. How did that impact you, along with obviously obtaining justice for for your for the victim? Well, it's, I had been a sex crimes prosecutor for quite some time, and so even though I was prosecuting a as Sam had pointed out, an iconic figure, a national figure, and it was a very tough case. Getting justice for a victim of this type of crime, sexual violence, has always been my mission. It has always been something that I took very seriously. And so with every single case, including this one, it was a tremendous burden on my shoulder because I wanted justice for my victim, for my survivor, who was willing to take the stand and be publicly dissected, right? In this case, on a national scale. Sure. Um, so it was a tremendous burden, but the Montgomery County District Attorney's Office, I wasn't alone. They supported, They ha- uh, Kevin Steele was the lead DA on it. Um, we had the whole appellate unit as well. Stu Ryan was one of the other prosecutors on it as well. Um, so yes, it was a tremendous burden. The world was watching, but it was a necessary fight that had to be fought. Absolutely. Let's just back up for a minute. What's yeah. your, as, a, as an African-American woman, 
um, professional woman. Uh, what's your what's your view on on the whole Me Too movement? Absolutely. Um, I th- personally think the Me Too movement is a extraordinarily helpful tool for women who have been victimized, for women who have been silenced. And as you pointed out, as an African-American female, even living in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010 era, I am one of those people who have been silenced, who have been pushed down, who have to overcome oppression, have to overcome presumptions of intelligence, of, of lack of intelligence and all those things. And so to have a movement that is giving a voice for those who, as you pointed out, are silenced, who are pushed down, um, is extraordinary. I have complete respect for the Me Too movement and I'm so proud um, that it exists, specifically for survivors. This is this to me that the Me Too movement is 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 about being human. That's right. We are we we have to get to the point where we all understand that each and every one of us is a human. That's right. That we are we 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 bleed, we live, we're born, we die, we have family, we have emotions. Whether or not you are in Bangladesh, uh, the poorest person in the world, or whether or not you're the richest, you know, guy up on Wall Street. We are all the same at the end of the day, and we've got to get to the point where we're all starting to treat each other the same as humans with the same kind of respect. That's just Sam Pond's interpretation on humanity. But I'm telling you what, that's how I was raised. Because if, if you came to my dinner table in Northeast Philadelphia, and you talked about some, and we've had, we had kids from the neighborhood come into our dinner table because my mother was a good cook. But if they came in to talk about someone and judge them based on their, their way they believe or their sc- color of their skin, my father would say to them, you're awful, awful, awful ignorant. That's we right. Don't, we don't tolerate ignorance at our table. So we've got to be able to have ignorance get, get executed, slaughtered. So we can move beyond that. We've talked about that on this show, and it has to be about you people, listeners, not being ignorant about the law, and we have to have our laws protect everyone, and that's what the founding fathers did almost 250 years ago, and we've got to be able to live that and have that spirit come to be. Sam, when you're talking about the Me Too movement, and we, Joe and I did a, a special on the labor show. We had the heads of sag after in, in California on the program. Talked about the courage of the individuals to finally come out against somebody like Weinstein. And, th- but, but, and when I, my first question that I posed to Kristen, um, there's been such progress, and it's been so awesome to see. When I ask you about the magnitude of the case and what's on your shoulders when i when i when we talk about the world's watching when i say that i you know all the progress that had been made and and yet this may have been the highest profile case so there's a lot on the line for those individuals who are watching who have who now see there's been progress made but now but now it's in your hands and now it's bill cosby it's it's america's dad right so in the balance, and I was watching right that you're dealing with public opinion, and I know we're talking about the law, but you're, you know, it, the, the first reaction when you hear about Bill Cosby, you love Bill Cosby. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, you know, Bill Cosby, I grew up with Bill Cosby, Cliff Huxtable, the whole deal there. Um, but it's progress. And it's, there's women, men. 
but obviously mostly women. America's dad is not a, not immune to the law. I, I know, but point. but Sam, what I'm saying is, you have hundreds of thousands of people watching that might be in the same situation, and and this is going to depend on whether they're going to come out, uh, uh, you know, and 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 make an accusation against their, you know, the, the person that's what, abusing them. What's your question, Tom? Well, what I'm saying is, when did, did you feel that? Uh, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, the, the the Me Too movement in some cases had made progress up to that point. It was on the line in that in that verdict. Did you feel that, you know, in the balance? Well, it's interesting you ask because I've gotten that question posed. Um, but just to kind of take a step back, when the jur- jury was vadiered, uh, they were specifically asked, can you, if you know about the Me Too movement, can you make a fair and impartial decision without taking into consideration anything that you've heard regarding that movement? They all said yes, and that is very important because that type of um, movement and any views regarding it should not have a place within the courtroom. Jurors should only look at the case, singular, the case, um, and make a decision based on the evidence that comes in, not even on any public information regarding Bill Cosby, only what was presented by the prosecution. Now. I think it's very important, however, to point out that progression is what helped a lot of those victims come forward, which allowed us to be able to go and interview them so that we could find them, right? Which, as you know, many of them, um, or five of them, um, became our prior bad act witnesses and were a tremendous um, use for our case as a whole. But I say that because the Me Too movement was such a seminal part of this case only in that kind of taking what Sam has said the intelligence taking away the ignorance so we were able to pursuant to the law right in 2012 we were able to call it a sexual um, an expert to talk about sexual dynamics sexually violent the dynamics of sexual violence and in that we were able to reverse what Sam was talking about that ignorance we were able to educate the jury educate the jury on why women don't report immediately why women stay in contact with their and i'm sorry not just women but like you pointed out men too why rape victims still stay in contact with their um rapists why why all of these things that are typically used to discredit these these survivors how all of that is normal and typical behavior for someone who's been traumatized in this fashion. This is such an important fact. This is such an important fact. The psychological, the human behavior, whereas you're using it to discredit someone, is actually flipped up and said, this is, this is the kind of behavior that you're going to have when you're traumatized. That's right. what your expert was saying. That's right. Let's get back and talk about a word that you used that we all picked up in law school and that you use in regard to, to jury selection, and that's voir dire. You can talk about voir dire in regard to examining an expert, but, but, but I, want to, I want our audience to understand what the voir dire process is in regard to a jury selection and how important it is. That's really the jury selection, right? Just tell That's us, right. Just give us a little bit more information about the dynamics of that in a, in a jury trial in a criminal context. Absolutely. In a jury trial in a criminal context, as Sam kind of pointed out in his monologue, a defendant is entitled to due process under the law. He's, in, he's presumed innocent until proven guilty. He has a slew, he or she has a slew of constitutional rights that a juror must recognize and accept. Um, and so if they're unwilling or unable to do that, the voir dire process is 
is put in place to eliminate them from any potential jury pool. Um, and so any individuals who came in during that voir dire, and voir dire is the questioning of jurors to make sure that they can be fair and impartial. Not only fair and impartial, but also to make sure that they're only going to make a decision based on what came in during the trial, any evidence that was presented during the trial. If the Commonwealth is unable to meet their burden, they have to meet, they have to say not guilty. If the Commonwealth, however, is able to meet their burden, they have to say guilty. And that's really important because on the flip side, in addition to, in addition to making sure that they are, um, going to be able to make a decision while respecting a defendant's constitutional rights, they also have to be able to make a decision. They have to. They also have to be able to come to a verdict and not be wishy-washy. So the, the voir dire process is a questioning juror selection process that will eventually put jurors who are capable of meeting the law as the judge will instruct them um, and make a decision on that basis. It would seem in a, in a, some, in a trial with a... With a a celebrity that becomes even more difficult. Absolutely. So, That's how right. long does that whole process? How long did that whole process take in regard to the Cosby trial? I think on both occasions. I think um, when we so the Cosby trial was tried twice. Were you involved in both trials? I was. Yeah. yeah. First one was in Pittsburgh. That's right. Uh, the first one. I'm sorry. The jury selection process was in Pittsburgh, but we tried it in Montgomery okay, County. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Um, but and I, that was why was it, why why was the jury selected in Pittsburgh and Allegheny County? Why? That's a great question, Sam. That particular um, legal team had decided that if they had tried this case here in Montgomery County, um, they would not be able to get a fair trial. And as you kind of pointed out, um, Cosby was a national figure, but he also was a local icon, right? He gave to Temple. Um, he lived here in Montgomery County, which is the case with all legal um, criminal cases. You try it within the town that you're in, unless it present some type of prejudice or burden to the defendant. At that point, if the defense is able to meet their burden and say, hey, this, this jury pool is going to be way too polluted, there's no way my client can get a fair trial, then the judge will actually say, okay, let's move it to a different jurisdiction or let's pick the jury on a separate place and we can also bring them here. Let's let's pick up the conversation a little bit more with that topic sure. when we return. Kristen Gibbons Fedden is joining us here on Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond. You're listening to us in Pittsburgh on KDKA and in the great city of Philadelphia. You're listening on Talk Radio WPHT. And that doesn't mean Pittsburgh is not a great city as well. Back in a moment. Now back to Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. We have shown from our record uh, that money and power, or who you are, will not stop us from a criminal investigation or prosecuting a case. What was revealed through this investigation was a man who had spent decades preying on women that he drugged and sexually assaulted, and a man who had evaded this moment here today for far too long. He used his celebrity, he used his wealth, he used his network of supporters, to help him conceal his crimes. And now we really know today who was behind that act, who the real Bill Cosby was, and a jury has spoken with one voice. Montgomery County District Attorney Kevin Steele uh, with an audio clip in, uh, joining us here on Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond from the law firm of Stradley Ronan. Uh, Kristen Gibbons Fedden uh, is joining us, uh, Sam, as we go into segment number three uh, on the big show. And if I may say, Kristen really is now with uh, one of the powerhouse stellar law firms um, 
not only in Philadelphia and the region, but also nationally. And uh, Stradley Ronan is a uh, great friend of this show, and, and, and I have great friends out there and great lawyers. Bill Sasso runs that firm, known Bill for a long time, served on many committees for him, and congratulations on, on being part of that. Uh, that great law firm. Um, and I know you're doing great work there as well. Let's talk about, if we can, uh, a little bit. We've talked about Vordier and, and the, the defense team trying to have this case with a jury pool out in the West on the first trial. Second trial, they agreed to have it just the jury pool come out of Montgomery County. That's right. Okay. That's right. The, the, we talk, when we get into the criminal context as opposed to the civil context to show a burden of proof, burdens of proof, folks, is very important in law school and with young lawyers. I always say to them, if you're going to try a case, you better find out what you need in the way of evidence to present a prima facie case or your burden of proof to meet your legal burden. That's where it all starts. That's where the rubber meets the road. That, that determines what kind of evidence you need to gather in order to carry your legal burden under the law to prove a case. We do workers' comp. There are some cases I don't present any evidence because defense hasn't carried their burden of proof. It's one of those things, Joe, when you see uh, any questions, Mr. Pond, on cross-examination? No, because I know they haven't presented any evidence to carry their burden of proof. The burden of proof in a civil matter is beyond uh, is a preponderance of the evidence. In other words, more than 50% for the fact finder, for the jury, or if it's a judge trial for the judge. In the criminal context, Christian, what is it? What's the burden of proof? And if it's a different burden of proof, why has our, our founding fathers, why did they give it a different burden of proof? Yeah, absolutely. In a criminal trial, Sam, it's beyond a reasonable doubt. Which, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because when you hear the instruction, it's... You make you you still don't understand, but it's something more than a probably. It's something where it's not a hundred percent mathematical certainty, but it's something where you're sure, right? And the reason that our far, our founding fathers have made such a heightened burden for the criminal justice system is because, as you, as you remember, historically, the reason that the the founding fathers came here was in search of liberty, was in search of ownership, was in search of property, right? Freedom, right? Well, what exactly are you taking away from a criminal defendant? But their very freedom, their liberty, right? And so that's... As opposed to property in a civil matter. That's right. As opposed to property in a civil matter where it can be money or even, you know, property, uh, tangible property. But in the criminal justice system, because the penalty could be jail or supervision with some type of infringement on your liberty and your freedom, that is why there's a heightened burden. That's why the prosecutor must prove a defendant's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. What was your burden in the Cosby case? My opinion or the legal opinion or both? Both. Okay, so the legal opinion would be beyond a reasonable doubt. But in sex crimes generally, Sam, when you have that type of stigma, a lot of jurors don't want to convict. That's why there is such a low conviction rate for sex crimes. That's why a lot of victims don't report, okay? But the reason the reason I say it's different for sex crimes is because of that stigma. Sometimes I have to prove, I believe, I have to prove a defendant's guilt beyond all doubt. The jury has to be sure before they stick this person with a stigma that's going to be carried with them for the rest of their life, they have to be sure that this person did it. There's sometimes the victims on trial, aren't they, in sex crimes cases? I'd say all the time, Sam. I'd and, say all the time. And in, in this particular case, who was, your, who was your star witness? So our star witness in this case was Andrea Constand. She was the victim in this case. Um... And she did a phenomenal job. 
She did a phenomenal job. But as you pointed out, the victim's always on the, on, on the stand and it's always on trial. What were some of the hurdles you had to come over in regard to her testimony and what she was saying? And some of our audience may know that. How do you deal with that? Uh, I found it fascinating that you were talking about some expert witness talking about the um, human behavior that most of us don't know about when unless we've probably been a victim of some sort of sex crime, right. whether you're man or woman, kid, adult, whatever the case may be. Some of these human behavior patterns, which may seem contraindicated to the lay person, right. that that really is saying, hey, you know what? I, you know, I was, it was consensual. I, I was, you know, hey, I'm going back again and I'm communicating with you. What were some of the, the, the hurdles that you had to come over with her testimony? Sure. And just to be clear, a lot of the hurdles that we had to come were exactly as you pointed out. Because the public's perception of sexual violent um, victims is so skewed, um, and it's normal because even sexual violent victims have these uh, perceptions of themselves, and that's why they don't come forward. But because it's so skewed, you have so they're, to— So they're somewhat ambivalent about what's happening. Maybe they're confused. Mm -hmm. uh, Absolutely, but, yeah. 100%. But I'm sorry to interrupt you. Oh, no yeah. problem. Um, but that those—basically, to, to, to answer your question, the hurdles is exactly what she did once she was assaulted. Those are the hurdles to overcome because— in normal perception, a lot of people in the public think you should have run away. You should have told right away. You should have quit your job, um, quit your livelihood, and never saw the defendant again. You should have done all these things, all things that Andrea Constant and most victims of sexual violence do not do. So to answer your question and be specific, one, she did not report immediately. After she was assaulted, she went home, she took a shower, and she went to work. And Sam, that's something that's very normal because when you experience that little level of trauma, victims want to normalize. They want to go back. There, there's no way this could have happened. I am an athlete. Andrea Constant was a basketball athlete. And she was overcome sexually by someone? That's the last thing in the world she would have expected, right? Yes. So she went and she tried to normalize. Another thing that was huge hurdle that we had to overcome was the number of contacts Andrea Constant had with Bill Cosby after she was assaulted. There was a number of phone calls, and I think in the first trial, about three hours was spent going over those phone calls. In the, in the most recent trial, probably two hours, if not more. And the reason they wanted to show that was there's no way she could have been assaulted. She maintained contact with him. And it was interesting because in her role, Andrea Constant was the director of basketball operations at Temple University. Bill Cosby, on the other hand, was a major benefactor of Temple University. If she didn't answer his phone calls, she would get fired immediately. Joe, Joe Doc, you have a question? It, no, oh, it, it's amazing because it's almost like she's victimized twice. That's right. It, you know, she, it, it, in order for her not to communicate, she has to then quit her job. So she's assaulted, and then she has to quit her job and destroy her own life That's in right. order uh, to, to, for some people to believe that she was actually victimized. Uh, and then throw in the fact that Bill Cosby is such a mega uh, you know, star nationally right. and, and an icon in Philadelphia. Here's something interesting. When you're selecting a jury for somebody like Bill Cosby, yeah, he's an icon uh, locally, but you know, also nationally. How do, how, do you, um, how do you go through that process and try to put something together where they're going to be able 
right. they're going to have the ability not to be biased and say, well, it's, you know, it's Cliff Huxtable there. There's no way he'd, he could possibly do that. What's that process like? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because really it comes down to one question, Jeff. Can you be fair and impartial, right? Putting aside who he is, can you be fair and impartial? Putting aside what you may feel about sexual violence, can you look at the evidence and fairly and impartially view it and make a decision based thereupon? Mm. And that's what it really boils down to. But it's interesting you say that because where I found the most challenge with that was in my closing argument. How can I make this jury who said they can be fair and impartial, who took an oath and said they can be fair and impartial, how can I be confident in my my mind? Because we're all human, Sam. We're all human, right? We think we can be fair and impartial, but can we truly be that? And what I wanted to do was I said to the jury, look, we get it. This guy is is Dr. Huxtable, Right. right? But that's how he lured these women in. That's how he was able to groom them. So what I had to do was I had to use his image against him and allow them to see that that Dr. Huxtable gig was just a cloak. And he used it as a tool. That's right. He used it as a tool. Well, in these situations, it isn't the, isn't the, in general, it's the man, that position of power mm-hmm. provides them, number one, an entree, and number two, protection. Exactly. Nailed it on the head. And, uh, and with with a Bill Cosby icon locally and nationally, and Doctor Doctor Huxtable and you know the Temple guy and everything else, it's 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 almost as if he's a member of your family. I mean, yeah, I was, it's, you can't get to right. him. And and the thing is, I'm not listen. I, you know, to say I was a fan was an understatement. I mean, just you know, he's he brought a warm sense of feeling, and I was so disappointed. Um, when I heard, obviously, because it's like, you got to be kidding me. Right. There's no way this could have happened. And then you're dealing, you, you have to take a, 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 a jury pool from the general public. I'm sure there's plenty of people like me going, oh, you got to, you know, I love Bill Cosby. Um, so it's interesting when Sam talks about the burden of proof and, and what type of evidence you have to have, let alone the normal things that you just mentioned five minutes ago. It must have been like, a, you, know, a, you know, a mountain looking up going, this is going to be, you know, we're going to do everything we can. But then you got the witness, right? I mean, the victim right there. That's right. What, yeah. what, other, what, other, um, what other evidence did you present? So we presented a, as I mentioned, an expert, which was crucial because we needed to educate the jury on those, like you had said, misconceptions on what rape victims would do Did you present that expert before her testimony? It's interesting you say that, uh, Sam, because in the first trial, we did not. We, I'm sorry, in the first trial we did, we presented it after. In the second trial, where we actually obtained a conviction, we presented it first. And I thought that that was key. Kevin Steele wanted to do that. And I'll be honest, initially I disagreed, but as it came out, it came out so beautifully because we instructed the jury on what they were going to see. Right. And so when Andrea said, yeah, I stayed in contact with them afterwards, they weren't. (gasps) It wasn't something where they were um, led by their own normal, common. So you laid a foundation for her testimony. You got it. What what other besides the expert and her testimony? What other what other evidence did you present and, and to carry that your burden of proof? Absolutely, we we put his own words in. We had the police had actually obtained a statement where he admitted to giving Andrea Constan um, uh, medication that he never identified to her, and he also admitted that he engaged in sexual um, contact with her. We also presented a forensic expert that said, based on the amount of medicine that you claim you gave her. 
she would have been knocked out by the time you claim you engaged in sexual contact. In addition to that, we were allowed 404B witnesses. And in Pennsylvania, a 404B witness is a prior bad act uh, witness. And essentially, we had five different women who came in and said he did that same, he engaged in that same contact conduct with me. And to be clear, those witnesses were not put on to show that he had um, as propensity evidence or to show that he did this to them so he had to have done it to Andrea. No. This evidence was to show that there was an absence of a snake mistake. And so when he gave her those three pills, there was no question in his mind that she'd be passed out. Well, we're going to continue with the, we'll get into the Cosby defense when we return. Really just fascinating, fascinating uh, talk radio. As we go to the break here on KDKA and Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, I asked the listening audience, could you be fair and impartial? Back in a moment. Oh, yay, oh, yay, oh, yay. God save the United States and this honorable court. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, Legal Eagles Radio. Kristen Gibbons fed in from the law firm of Stradley Ronan is our special guest on Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond, our final segment uh, of the show. Kristen, before we get into the Cosby defense, um, anything else that you presented in that second trial besides the evidence that you just told us about to carry your burden um, of uh, under the Constitution? That was the the main evidence that we used, but I have to say the most crucial piece was Andrea Constand. Now, just just before we get into the Cosby defense, what that was, if and we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. The first trial you presented, how many um, prior bad act witnesses? One. And then you presented five. That's right. How's that happen? Why? <laughs> why? Is that a tactic, strategy from, from the prosecution? Um, Yes. Why the difference? That was actually a judicial decision. Um, oh, so the, when you say judicial decision, is this what's what role does the judge play? The judge not only permits, not only decides how many witnesses we can call, but to an extent, based on the law, there's it's complex, but based on the law, who we can call as well. Okay, so there's a lot of the the judges. What's the again? What's the role of the judge? The role of the judge is to. Uh, take control of the evidence being presented, rule on motions, those type of things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so what we did was we presented about 19 different women um, that we wanted to present as prior bad act witnesses. The judge in the first trial said, no, you only get one. It's got to be this person. Um, In the second trial, the judge said you can get five this time, but it's out of these, I think, eight or nine different women. Same judge. Same judge. What's the rationale? Because we have legal rulings and there should be some sort of rationale for the rulings. Why the difference in the rulings? Well, in I always like to give a lot of credit to our appellate attorney who actually argued it for during the second trial. And there were a number of different legal arguments that we used. So we were talking about the appellate lawyer. We're now talking about the the folks that are coming in with the common law, the, the, the case law, the statute arguing individual cases that now it. apply to this particular situation saying, judge, here's the law. That's here's how you should be acting. Is that what happened? Absolutely. And so Adrian Jappy for the Commonwealth um, argued not only did she provide case law that 
five was the most amount of people that the court has in the past permitted, or I think it was maybe eight. Um, but she also provided case law to say, Judge, you don't get to select it. You get to pick how many uh, how many people but you don't get to say okay you only can get this person or that person because the judge really isn't allowed to make a credibility assessment on who we call in to, to an extent um as a as a prior bad act witness in addition she also argued um a different legal theory um she also used absence of mistake um as well as um and I can't remember the exact terminology that she used, but we used a, a whole different slew. But I think one of the main things is we also argued need. We were able to point back to the previous trial and say, look, when you only give us one, this is what happened. In this second trial, we need more. And that is one of the elements that the, that the court is allowed to take into account the need. Of so the that trial. was a significant win in front of the judge for you guys. Sure. But again, as I always say in all sex cases, our case rises and falls with Andrea Constan, the victim. Got it. Okay, so what was Cosby's defense? Interesting. In the second trial, his, his defense was basically to discredit every single woman. I mean, really, he also had that defense. He also had the statute of limitations defense, which basically said she doesn't know when this happened, and it, and it potentially it probably happened prior to the time that you guys charged. And so the 12-year statute of limitations for aggravated indecent assault would have expired by the time you guys had charged this case. So they said that you guys were time uh, – the Commonwealth was time-barred. They also said it never happened. Um did he have this, he had a different defense team the second time? That's right. Both times he he didn't testify. That's correct. Interesting. Interesting. Do, Dr. Huxtable didn't testify. And that's and that's one of the things I was going to say by by him not testifying um, he, he, what is what is the strategy? What is the strategy on on some, I know you 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 were the prosecutor but I'm just saying do you think that hurts him? Do I think it hurts him to be a hundred percent honest with you, I don't. Um, the jury, a, a defendant is entitled to a, a right to remain silent, right? We're talking about those constitutional issues. He has a right to remain silent. He is presumed innocent. However, you got to keep in mind as well that we had his words. We had his testimony. And so if I was a defense attorney, because we had his deposition, which was four days long. So you're not talking about millions of pages, right? No, I get it. But you yeah. but, but it's interesting. No, but I think, I think what cross-examination could have been a field day. So you've, you know, you've got, right. to, you've got to, you've got to be careful that. Sure. So let's just, let's just, because we're running out of time. This is just going entirely, sure. entirely too fast. So the sentencing, he, the sentencing portion resulted in what for, for uh, Bill Cosby? He received three to 10 years. Um, and basically in Pennsylvania, there's two parts of a criminal sentence. The three years basically says that you will stay in jail no less than three years. However, when that three years comes up, you are eligible for parole. And parole is the release from an incarceration facility, but with the state will maintain supervision over you. Is this a, kind of, is this a standard type of sentencing? Uh, for state court. For state court. Pennsylvania so, state court. Is yeah. he in jail now? Yes, he is. And he's, he's filed an appeal? I believe he's filed his appeal, yes. He already filed his post-sentence motions. Um, those were denied, and now he's on the appeal. And how stage. long does it take in regard to the appeal process? Sam, it can take anywhere from, like, one and a half to five years or longer. So basically he could serve, be paroled, by the time that decision comes out. That's right. Um, so it's, it's just it's, – it's, it's – it's a fascinating, fascinating trial, uh, and you know, to have this happen over the period of time, it's interesting. He's got, from what I could see, he's got some some appeal issues sure. that may have, you know, look, he he's, he was originally 
questioned and, and investigated back in 2004. The trial goes takes maybe 10 plus years to go. Uh, so there's some some things that came about, but um, my hat's off to you for trying this case. I think going back to what Joe Doc said earlier in regard to the monumental task. And you really can't look at it this way, Joe. And I don't know if Kristen did, but you really can't look at it that way about the consequence of this right. not happening. But, Kristen, I want to thank you for thank really you. being on our show. And I wish we had more time. We're going to have to wrap it up here. And I'm going to get back to, I'm going to, get back to what Joe Kraft said, Kristen. I want to go back to what you said. And I loved hearing it. I loved hearing it from you as a prosecutor. Because what you said was, and we talk about the system all the time, the system only works if we don't bastardize it. The system only works if it's genuine. The system only works if it's impartial. For all of our listeners out there, when you do your civic duty to serve on a jury, leave your prejudices at home. Mm -hmm. Listen to the evidence. Decide the evidence only in regard to the context of those charged or if it's in a civil case in regard to the civil case. This is a fundamental duty, and without fairness, without impartiality, we don't have a system that works. Thank you, Kristen. Thank Special you. guest today, Kristen Gibbons-Fedden from the law firm of Stradley Ronan. That's going to do it for Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond. If you want to connect with Sam, you can call him on the Legal Eagles hotline at one 800 723 8715. That's going to do it for the broadcast this weekend. For everybody listening on KDKA or on WPHT, on behalf of JDoc, on behalf of Kristen and our gracious host, Sam Pond, I'm Joe Krause. See you next time, everybody. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.